Well, it's Halloween. I don't know if you do much for Halloween. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what it's always been for you, but um, I don't know. We're not really the big decorate for Halloween people. You might be. We kind of um, more hide in the basement and uh, turn off the lights and <laughs> that kind of thing. I don't know. Is that mean? I don't. We, not having children of our own, we just kind of were never into the Halloween thing. And I, I don't know if you feel this way. I don't find anything particularly scary about Halloween. Um, uh, not much there. I know. So when I was growing up, our church kind of had the, well, they didn't really want to do the Halloween thing. So we would have sort of the harvest carnivals. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? The uh, family sort of fun festival type of things. And you had to wear a costume. The children would all get to wear a costume, but you weren't allowed to wear a scary costume. In fact, one year they made us all wear a Bible costume. Well, you think with me, right? How many different Bible characters? I mean, well, you got to put some cotton balls on there and you put a bathrobe on. And which one are you? Are you Joseph or are you Moses? I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I think we all look the same uh, pretty much as things went around. Well, one year with that, I got kind of fed up with that. And I got the toilet paper out and I, I dressed up and I got in trouble. They were like, you can't be the mummy. I'm like, I'm Lazarus. Nothing particularly scary, right, about it. In the book of Ephesians, Paul does tell us not what to be afraid of, but definitely what to be aware of. Look what he says in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I like that passage. I think in days that can often be, boy, troubling, uh, busy, uh, rough, discouraging, things that like problems arise from all sorts of sources, I want to hear that. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. But this verse right here has a context. This verse has a context. In this context, the very first thing Paul wants us to understand, and I think the Lord wants us to understand, is when he says be strong in the Lord, he's meaning that there is something going on, there's a battle going on, and that we need to realize that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, as part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, we are in a battle, and we need to know that we actually have an enemy. The very first thing he wants us to do is know our enemy. In fact, in the book of Colossians, it tells us that, hey, listen, he has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of the son he loves. You've changed sides. You are in a kingdom that belongs to Jesus. And that means there's an opposing enemy. There's an opposing kingdom. There's someone who is against you. Ephesians chapter 6, the very next verse, it says this in verse 11. So put on the full armor of God so that you can take stand against who? Against what? Against the devil's schemes. Against the devil's schemes. I think we're very quick to dismiss these ideas sometimes. It's like, well, maybe that's sort of old-fashioned. Maybe that's sort of superstition. Maybe that's sort of like, well, you know, back in the day they believed there were demons and everything. And I certainly don't think that if you spilled your milk on your cereal this morning that that was, oh, no, the devil's messing with your milk. I don't think that at all. But I do think we need to realize that the Scripture is consistent, that there is an enemy. And he, in fact, says in the next verse, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. These 
things are real. These powers, these principalities, these spiritual forces of evil that are in the heavenly realms, but also these dark powers here on earth, those things exist. The, um, I think it, it's C.S. Lewis who kind of famously had the little scenario in the screw tape letters where these demons are talking about how to fool humanity. And one of the strategies is, look, one of the things is just get them to believe we don't exist. Almost like a strategy, right? Well, we are tempted to, honestly, as Christians, I think we need to be aware of this. Why? One, it keeps us centered on the right enemy. Not centered like we focus, but centered like uh, not getting distracted by false enemies. Because so often as Christians, and I think we do need to hear this point, we as Christians begin to be pursuing other enemies. We start thinking that an enemy is a particular political party. Or an enemy is a person um, in our household that is really causing all kinds of grief. Or the person at work that, oh man, if we could just, they're my enemy. They're out to get me. They're out to stop me. Or we start thinking that someone in the church is really the problem. Well, if we could just get rid of Pastor Mike, boy, then things would be way better. We start focusing our attention on these human relationships and, and people as if they are the major problem with the world. People in the world are one thing. A beloved creation. They may not agree with you. <laughs> they may be causing you all kinds of problems. But they are loved by our creator who sent Jesus to die for them. We are told to pray for our enemies. We're told to love our enemies. We're told to turn the other cheek. That we might represent Christ to the world. Don't make this mistake. We do have an enemy. But our enemy it never consists of people in this sense. Not in the spiritual sense. It's the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's the powers of, that are evil powers in this dark world. If you think, well, I'm still not very convinced of this. Um, look in James chapter 1. He says, hey, look, brothers, you believe there's one God? That's good. Even the demons believe that there is one God and they shudder. I don't have this verse up there, but in, in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be alert, be sober. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 12, it goes on to say it this way, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea. Because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. And Jesus even said in Luke 22, right before the cross, right before he endures the sin of humanity, right before he endures his suffering, later to be risen from the dead, later to come back in total victory, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all like wheat. But I have prayed that your faith might remain. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Don't really know what sifting wheat is exactly. Doesn't sound good. You know, it's separating that wheat and the chaff. It has to do with a grinding. It has to do with a, a pounding. It has to do with an endurance. Satan has asked 
Notice that. He's having to ask permission. Satan's asked to sift you all like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. I think it's interesting for us. I think there's, we, we tend to sort of like think about these things almost none. That there's this spiritual warfare. That there are these spiritual battles. That there are these difficulties that come. And we don't see the spiritual context at all. And quite frankly, the scripture does not talk a lot about it. And so I don't talk a lot about it. I don't actually really think all that much about it. But I think we need to be aware that, look, we as believers kind of get distracted and think everything is just physical. There is, there are spiritual dimensions that we're not really that aware of. Now, there will be teachers, there will be books at the Christian bookstore, and you can find all kinds of stuff. And, oh, don't forget the wealth of all knowledge, the Internet. <laughs> don't forget, I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek at this point, right? You can find lots of people that will discuss these things in great detail. But you know what? I have a real bit of skepticism about anything that's not in the Scripture. People who seem to know a whole lot about all of these spiritual warfares or things, I, I'll, I'll listen, but I'm going to test it. I'm going to give. I'm only going to take it with a grain of salt because I, I, I'll be honest. I, I think people often talk a whole lot about what they think they know, but God's given us everything that we need to know. People talk a lot about what they think they know, but God has given us what we need to know. And in the scriptures, the focus is not really on these demonic forces, not on the devil. The, the focus is on the Lord and on the Lord Jesus. And we need to know that these powers exist, but that our God has got them in control. One of my favorite scenes, of course, is from Mark uh, chapter 5. And really, I kind of like to look, read Mark chapter 4, 5, 6 all together because you see the powerful Son of God on the move. Oh, he's curing the, uh, curing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's calming the storms. This Jesus has pretty much everything in control. And in Mark chapter 5, we see Jesus uh, get off a boat and uh, with his disciples and a man that is demon-possessed who they say is so filled with, with, with these demonic forces that, that no one could hold him, no one could contain him. He found himself living sort of in the wilds and in the graveyards and kind of a really, I mean, talk about a Halloween scare. <laughs> Would even break the chains that tried to bind him. A pretty scary individual. And yet, in the scene in Mark, you see this demonic-filled person run. As soon as he sees Jesus coming off the boat, he is running. Not a run of attack, mind you, but a run of panic. Runs and falls at Jesus' feet and begs Jesus, begs him not to throw him into the abyss. Begs Jesus. In fact, this is what it says in Mark 5. Jesus actually asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. I don't think that hits us like it should. When he says he's Legion, Legion just, oh, well, we can look back at history, and what is the Roman Legion? Oh, that was a unit in the Roman army of a thousand soldiers. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, good. We understand that. So it must have been many, like almost a thousand, or maybe a thousand, or more than a thousand, but, you know, something big. So he took the nickname or called himself Legion. 
Please understand that the most feared military instrument of the day was the Roman legion. I mean, sure, a catapult, I could launch something, I could do some damage. But when the legion came, all other armies fell. When the legion came, all other uprisings ended. When the legion came, it was game over. They've not sent in a squad. They've not sent in a little cavalry. They've not launched, you know, the legion is here, the full army, the, the, with their shields and armor, and they are ready to go, and it is game over for you and your team. His name meant we're in charge. We're the powerful ones. We're in control, and no one can stop us. Oh, there's Jesus. I mean, we're sorry. Please, please. And now they're on their knees. You get the picture? The legion is begging, weeping, crying. Please, Jesus, you're in charge. When we come to this idea of spiritual warfare, we don't come in fear because the person on our team is Jesus. When I was in college, we, we had a night that it had snowed. And, you know, when a bunch of guys get together and there's snow, it typically means snow football. And so you bundle all up in your clothes and you get, you know, and uh, it's slippery, it's sliding, you fall, you fall in the snow and it doesn't really hurt or anything. You know, you can tackle. And, and so it's just kind of fun to play in the snow. Well, my, one of my roommates, Dave, we had Dave on my team. Ultimately, we had one play. Give the ball to Dave. I don't know what was it. Dave was a big guy, and he was a strong guy, and he was a martial arts expert guy. And the guy could just kind of take the ball, and you know, he'd push people off, and you know, knock. No one, and there'd be like five guys on him, and he'd, he, could, you know, Dave, Dave could just carry the ball. It's not like just Dave. This is Jesus. You give the ball to Jesus. You trust in Jesus. Yeah, there are spiritual forces of evil. Yeah, there's attack. There are things we don't understand. But we go to Jesus. We give the ball to Jesus. We know that our trust is in Jesus. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is with me. Know your enemy. Know that you have an enemy. But know that you have the king on your side. Know that you have the victorious one on your side. But here's the deal. Just because you have that winning player on your team, well, you're on his team, right? (laughs) Just because Jesus is with us, that doesn't mean you don't need to be aware and make preparations. And make preparations. In fact, that's what the Apostle Paul goes on to say. He says, you need to wear your armor. You need to wear your armor. And that's sort of our next point here, right? Wear your armor. Going back to Ephesians chapter 6, it says this, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Brothers and sisters, so often I think we approach these situations kind of going, either totally ignoring the spiritual realities, or we're just like completely caving into the spiritual uh, forces. It, things that are distracting, things that are discouraging, and things that Satan in his work might actually be doing to destroy and tempt and pull us away. The Apostle Paul says, no, you need to be prepared. There is a day of evil. There are these kinds of things, and you need to be ready to stand firm. Stand your ground. How does he do it? Well, he describes this armor, and he goes on to say, no, and all these things, well, this is Romans chapter 8. The idea of standing, 
That, that's what I wanted to get to next. Sorry. I lost my train of thought for a moment. Um, so often we think of these things as fighting a victorious war. Like, I am going to, to win every battle. I'm going to be strong in every case. But sometimes they look at what Paul says is you stand. You stand firm. Think in terms of this in, in Romans chapter 8. He says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. He's been talking about persecutions and hardships and difficulties and things that have come against him as this apostle and they come in the lives of Christians. And he says, no, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any power, nor anything else in all creation height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does it mean to stand? What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? You see, the conqueror is the one that just seems to like, okay, let's play chess and we'll see if we can win. Who's One of us is going to beat the other one. One of us is going to be the conqueror. But sometimes the more than a conqueror is in the midst of persecution or even death, even the martyrdom, saying, no, there's nothing, even death can't take away or separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. More than conquerors are those that, like, even if I'm losing, somehow I have victory. Even if things are not going right in my life, I still have victory. Even if there are difficulties that I can't seem to solve, I still have victory. Because Jesus has already purchased for me that eternal home, that eternal life, that eternal relationship with God. He has given me all that we need. We are more than conquerors. We did not win in our own strength. We did not succeed in our power. And though that the world may see us as failing God has given us victory. We are more than conquerors. So how do we stand firm? Well, he tells us about this armor. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet uh, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Let's stop with those. I'm not sure we're doing this so well. I might think that sometimes we're showing up to the battle a little bit underdressed. I was talking to a group of my student leaders. I haven't I, at, at one of my campuses for the college ministries. And I was talking to the guys, and I said, "All right, so men, how are we doing on our Bible reading right now?" Mm, yeah, not not going especially good. I'm like, all right, has it been a couple days or has it been a week? Mm, probably the second. Has it been two weeks? Mm, yeah, I think I cracked it once. We don't have the belt of truth in our lives. If we're not putting the Word of God into our lives daily, daily, we don't have the resources. How are we expected to be able to handle the, the attacks of the enemy? How are we expected to handle the confusion that comes without the Word of God in our life? We are called as believers to be ready, to be ready to, to correct, rebuke, teach, encourage, all of these things with God's Word. The breastplate of righteousness in place? Interesting. 
Interesting. The Apostle Paul always uses righteousness in two senses. The first sense is that we have righteousness, imputed righteousness, righteousness that has been given to us because of the righteous act of Christ when he died for our sins. But don't make this mistake that I think Christians do. Paul also talks about a righteous lifestyle. A righteous lifestyle. In fact, in the book of Romans, um, he speaks about this in Romans chapter 14. And he says this, look, that you have to have righteousness. He says, um, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, about those kind of rules, but about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you don't live righteously, you don't have peace. You know what I'm talking about? You know, when there's been sin in there and you're all like, and it's consternation and it's frustration and it's shame and it's you're denying it and it's going on. Do I sound like I've been there a lot? Yeah, I've been there. You better be living righteous or you can't have peace. And if you don't have this peace with God and your walk with God and your knowledge of God and then your right relationship with Him, then you're not having joy. If you want joy in your life, you better be standing with this breastplate of righteousness in place. I know temptations come. I know sins come. They come for all of us. But we constantly need to confess those sins, get them out of our lives, take the righteousness that Christ gives, and live that life in the Spirit. Feet fitted with the gospel of peace. One of the things that, that... I feel like I've had the privilege of doing for lots and lots of years, is having the opportunity to be able to share the gospel of Jesus pretty much at will. And you're saying, what, really? Well, yeah, doing college ministry, that's the most fertile field. It's just so easy, because you can always walk up to somebody and just say, hey, I see you're sitting there doing nothing. Um, Now, they're, they're reading the school paper or whatever. If you're reading the school paper, you're pretty much desperate for anything else to do. So, um, and say, hey, um... Listen, I'm, I ask a few people every week, you know, what do you believe about God and spirituality? Would you mind answering a few questions? And you know, I never actually want to go do this. It always feels a little bit weird. But can I tell you, if I am struggling in my heart, if things are not going well for me spiritually, if I'm feeling really tempted, if you go out and tell people me about Jesus, it seems to melt all of those temptations and discouragements and other things away. The feet fitted with the gospel of peace. One of the reasons I think we often are living that defeated Christian lifestyle is because we're never sharing the good news of Jesus. Lord, open the doors for your message. Lord, help me proclaim it clearly as I should. Let that be our prayer. Feet that are fitted with the gospel of peace. Well, hopefully you know this one. He goes on to say, in addition to all this, you better take up that shield of faith, which which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In this verse in Ephesians, as we get to that next slide, uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, these are those things which every Christian should have all the time, right? We have faith in God. But it's when every new situation comes, it seems like my faith disappears, right? The new challenge that happens, the new... 
It's a shield of faith. It's coming back to know my trust is in God in this situation and that situation. Reminding ourselves of the salvation. When we fail, when we struggle, our salvation is in Jesus Christ. We have a heavenly home. And finally, that sword of the Spirit. Paul's going to go on and on about the life in the Spirit. It's God's Holy Spirit that gives us strength. So finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Let God's Word and His Spirit dwell in you richly. So as you see in this next slide, don't come dressed inappropriately. Don't show up with, as toilet paper Lazarus when you need to be the Roman soldier. You need it all. You need to be held together with truth. You need to live in righteousness. You need to be sharing the gospel and asking God to open those doors. You need to be trusting in Him, having faith during all kinds of trials. You need to be thinking about your salvation, celebrating your salvation, thanking God for the gift that is in Christ Jesus and all that we have in Him. We need to be ministering to others in the power of the Holy Spirit. As you're heading for work tomorrow, as you're heading for uh, time with family tomorrow, as you're dealing with children tonight, um, would you ask God to help you minister and serve and love them in the power of the Holy Spirit, ready with how God has spoken to you through your word, ready to stand up because someone's going to poke, something's going to happen, some trial even by Satan might come, you would be ready. And finally, pray. Pray. That's where Paul ends this passage. Um, He says to pray. Look at what it says uh, in verse, um, verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I will confess that probably my favorite thing about Valley Baptist Church. Favorite thing is how much you all have prayed and let me know that you're praying specifically for me. I have appreciated that. I bet everybody else would appreciate that too. Maybe we need to expand our prayer list. Maybe we need to be praying for each other a little bit more. Jesus himself in the model prayer says, when he prayed, he said, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I think Jesus was acutely aware of these spiritual trials, these spiritual attacks, these, this war that's going on that we know not that much about, but we sure know the one we need to turn to in every situation. Today, if you've never turned to the Lord, you've never said yes to Jesus, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here today, but you've never said, Jesus, forgive me, move me from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of light. Maybe today is your day to respond to Jesus and his invitation of forgiveness for your sins and the gift of eternal life. He invites you to it. You've got to put your faith in Jesus. Will you respond? Today I'm going to be up front. If you're saying, this is the church where I need to be. This is where I need to make my church home. This is where my children need to be. This is where I You respond and say this. Yes, Lord, I'll be here. If you need to respond to Jesus... You come. You give your life to Him. Let's pray together. Father, thank You so much for Your Word that warns us 
about the spiritual uh, domain and about the struggles that are there. God, would you speak to your people? Would you continue to take hold of us and make us strong? We pray this, asking for the filling of your Spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen.